Welcome to Being a Successful Leader with Carl Welty. Carl is a leadership pioneer with years of challenging leadership and consulting experience. Here's Carl with some valuable insights, practical and proven methods for being a successful leader. Welcome, Carl, to hear your host for the uh, podcast, uh, Being a Successful Leader. We have uh, 26 episodes uh, that revolve around uh, my three imperatives of uh, effective leadership. The first one is being a skillful, self-aware leader. The second imperative is uh, building a or having a, a sound strategy. And the third is building a culture of commitment. Skillful, self-aware leader a sound strategy, and then a culture of commitment. Each episode runs 15 minutes to a, a half hour. And my site, Wealthy.com, is a resource for you on an ongoing basis. Uh, be sure and visit it if you haven't already. And, and if you go over to Leadership Resources, scroll down, you can capture past episodes of the uh, series just by clicking on the series, the episode you want to uh, listen to our review once more, and then also take a look at my books and the book that parallels the current uh, imperative we're working on, which is the uh, building a culture of commitment. Uh, uh, it's it's great. It just it goes hand in glove with what we're talking about and complements uh, the discussion with a reference that you can be able to look into more detail and to uh, continue to use. So be sure and, and check those uh, resources out. Today, our topic in this episode is understanding motivation, commitment versus compliance. And this will give us a, a sound grounding for you and understanding of uh, not that you don't already understand a lot of this, but the understanding of the linkage between work and, and human motivation and the uh, building a culture commitment. It, it provides the underpinning as we talk about the rationale for the culture commitment and how to go about uh, building such a culture. Let's start off uh, with our discussion on motivation here uh, by looking at motivation, uh, movement versus motivation. Very, very important principle and very important distinction. The idea is that uh, you don't motivate uh, anybody. I hate to shock you, probably you realize that though. You're a creator of an environment as a leader a leader manager, you create an environment, a, a, a motivating environment, a culture of commitment. And uh, the difference to that is moving people. And sometimes you as a leader manager have to move people. You've got to push them. You've got to maybe give them a, a key to approach, we call it, kicking the, kick the posterior uh, through discipline or just uh, coming down on them hard or what have you. If you have that as your continuing modus operandi, that's not very pleasant and you don't want that anyway. And the results will suffer. Uh, so you want to work more on this culture of commitment versus compliance. The idea is that motivation comes within the individual, true motivation, and that it's goal directed. Uh, I have, a, I have a need and I want to satisfy that need. Hopefully at work, you know, in terms of getting some good stuff done and, and achieving things. And that's true motivation. Again, the opposite of that is, is movement. The, culture of compliance versus the culture of commitment. The essence here, the difference is that compliance culture is one that people have to do something. There's continual movement there, whereas commitment, the culture of commitment is that they want to, that you and your organization as uh, good uh, leaders and so forth, you've, you've uh, been clear about your strategy and then you get people aboard that can align their values 
and aspirations uh, with those uh, organizational aspirations and, and values. And that's the, that's the trick of the game. Okay. So we're going to now uh, explore two related uh, theories of motivation that go way back and they've withstood the test of time because our human behavior doesn't change all that much. And so it makes sense that it, it, these, these theories do stand up. Uh, the first of them is uh, Maslow's hierarchy needs. Again, very well understood, very known, and most of you are pretty familiar with that. Brief review won't hurt. Uh, Maslow's uh, goes back to the 1940s, and he categorized human needs into five categories and suggested they come and can be arranged in a hierarchy, a hierarchy of needs. And that once one set of needs is basically fulfilled, it no longer serves as a key motivator. And we as humans uh, aspire to achieve the next order of need and up the line. So the five uh, levels of uh, needs in his hierarchy, uh, the first, and if you want to just picture this, a triangle works pretty good. At the base of the triangle is uh, the physical need. The physical need of, of basic needs, food, clothes, shelter. And that once that's satisfied, we tend to look towards uh, security uh, uh, for the next uh, set of needs. So we want some insurance to have food and clothing and so forth for the future. And also the psychological need of not being in danger and feared all the time, fearful all the time. So physical security, then we go to the social need. Now I want to kind of belong to something. And I want to be part of something that I have my, my basic needs pretty much fulfilled. And then after that, let's look at me, the esteem need, uh, me as an individual, feeling proud for me as an individual, things I can do and, and skills that I've obtained and can use. And the uh, final order need is self-actualization. That's achieving one's personal potential. So physical security, social esteem, self-actualization, Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs. You can also go down in, in needs that, uh, you know, you, you may, for example, losing a job. You, you may have been pretty much in the, up in the higher needs and all of a sudden, boom, you're down to security as you're concerned about you and your family and, and, and finding work and, and that sort of thing. So it goes up and down. The, uh, self-actualization need when, when Maslow first came out with his theory years ago, he felt very few people probably uh, could achieve that uh, high-order need. But today, people have a lot more opportunity and find avenues to explore their own unique destinies. And so that self-actualization need is not uh, an overreach for, for a lot of people today, which is a good thing. And uh, that as as uh, leaders in your organization, you want to try to uh, arrange this culture so they can grasp for that self-actualization. As a matter of fact, uh, in that more people are getting there that – his testimony that some people even change their their uh, careers and so forth because they pretty much figured they maxed out in one, so they try something else and maybe go down a few notches in the hierarchy and then strive for achievement in that area. So kind of interesting. I think that's all good. What we want to do is, as leaders is to uh, align the individual aspirations and goals with the organizational identity and direction. Now, we've hit organizational identity and direction pretty good in our in our podcast that uh, talked about the uh, building a sound strategy, how to go about uh, using my strategic framework to do so, uh, about identity, direction, and then implementing those. And, and now what we want to do is to bring people aboard 
that can share these aspirations. They want to, and we provide the culture to do so. And so their values and their aspirations align with uh, your organizational uh, values and aspirations, be that as an organization as a whole or your department, section, region, or what have you. So let's now move from the Maslow to the second motivation theory I'd like to cover, and that's Frederick Herzberg's maintenance motivation theory. You probably heard of that one, too. Uh, whether you did or not, it's good to review uh, the uh, these important uh, footings that we have. Uh, this research of Herzberg's came out of the 50s and 60s, and he, uh, based on the research, uh, said, gee whiz, uh, it, motivation is not a, a linear, linear line uh, straight ahead. There's really two separate things. There's one part or factor that has to do with the people being dissatisfied at work, and the other has to do with people being satisfied at work, and they're not exactly opposites. Sounds kind of strange at first, but the opposite of dissatisfied is not satisfied but not dissatisfied, and the opposite of satisfied is not dissatisfied, but not satisfied. So as we go through this, maybe if you have a piece of paper to, or take one out and draw a line across it, and on the left-hand side, label it to maintenance, and the right-hand side, motivators, and maybe in the center's line, put a zero, and then on the far left, let's say minus 100, arbitrary, and the far right, plus 100, and we can kind of sketch this out a little bit as we talk. Originally, uh, Herzberg called the maintenance thing uh, hygiene factors. These were the extrinsic factors to work. And he always called the right-hand side motivators. These are the intrinsic factors, the work itself. And the uh, maintenance is more the environment, and the motivators is more the uh, the work itself. And Herzberg and others changed the hygiene label to maintenance as we used it more and more. So our, our role here, then again, is to provide this uh, – work environment where people can achieve, accomplish, challenge, and that sort of thing, and uh, get their their generators going and get the uh, the work itself exciting to them so that it's truly motivational. And uh, as an organization, and for you and your uh, sections or departments or regions, you want to continually maintain, maintain a good uh, work in, in environment a healthy work environment in such that, uh, you know, security and the safety and the health and benefits and, and uh, pay and everything is competitive. If not, you know, on our scale on your piece of paper, if you get down to the lower areas, you get the minus 50s and all that kind of stuff, people are going to leave. You're going to have a high turnover rate. So you continually have to maintain your uh, your environment. Are people going to be dissatisfied and, and uh, not put out and perhaps leave? But doing more of that, uh, besides just keeping it up, doesn't equate itself into necessary motivation and productivity. There you got to turn to the work itself and what you provide workers with in terms of getting their generators going. So that's the two-factor theory and not a straight line of, uh, of motivation. Hopefully you made that uh, clear to you. Maybe filling in your chart there, uh, the left-hand side, right-hand side, maintenance and motivators, some of the... Some of the uh, factors, if you will, that would be in the maintenance side. This is the, again, the organization centered, the, the, the work context, if you will. And the right hand side, your motivators are your, your worker centered, the work itself. So organization centered, worker centered. On the 
maintenance sites, such things as supervision, relationships belong there, working conditions, money, benefits, status, security. Those are some of the factors that would go there on your left-hand side of your chart. On the right-hand side, the worker-centered, the work itself is such things as achievement, earned recognition, challenging work, increased responsibilities, learning and growth, advancement. Take your own history, work history as an example, and, and think of that chart you have in front of you with the maintenance and motivators and so forth. And and think of times that in your position or past positions or projects, ter- things of what what really turned turned you on, what when you were really motivated, really, really your your generator was really going. Were those maintenance kinds of things or were those motivator? Was it the work itself? Or was it the environment and people treated you right and you got good pay and that sort of thing? Was that the thing that really turned you on or was it something you achieved, the challenge, the growth? And uh, if you're like most of us, most times when you kind of assess your own work experience, the vast majority, if not all of these experiences were on the right-hand side, okay? And again, doesn't mean that the maintenance is not important. Got to keep that up. But again, the point is that in and of itself won't convert to uh, more uh, motivation. So very, very important. A few other things to talk about before we leave Herzberg here. One is money. Now, again, maybe another shocker to you. Money by itself is not a motivator. It's a maintenance kind of thing. You've got to keep it up. It can be a motivator, especially in the short term, when a person translate that raise that they got and so forth into a job well done, something I did, I earned this you know, I, I deserve it, that sort of thing. But most times that's uh, not uh, long-lasting. It, it flips over into the maintenance side. So don't think just by paying them more, they're going to, you know, perform better. Um, so it's a, more of a short-lived uh, motivator, if indeed it isn't short-lived. Uh, let's now, another aspect here, uh, turn back to Maslow. So if you think of the uh, two factors, maintenance and motivator, the maintenance factors, if you think about it here, are the uh, correlate with the uh, Maslow's lower order needs. The maintenance factors are lower order needs, the physical security, the belonging, and the higher order needs of Maslow convert or relate to the the uh, motivator uh, theory part, the uh, second part of the theory in Herzberg's maintenance motivator. And the final thing before we move on is that, um, uh, before we leave Herzberg, is that he was called the father of job enrichment. And job enrichment came out of the uh, whole idea of this uh, importance of the uh, motivators in the two-factor theory. So uh, the whole uh, effort was to explore ways we can make work more meaningful to get that self-generator going in terms of making more meaningful work. And um, the way to do that was by looking at the content and the discretion of work. In other words, the content would be elongate the work, if you will, so people can get a better sense of ownership of what they did. So if they were in a, in a chain of things doing uh, B through D, could we make it B through E by making it a bigger scope so they can put their flag of ownership on it better than a, a, a narrower scope? So that would be job. Uh, uh, content, uh, 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 and Herzberg said job enrichment 
making the work more enriching to the individual is not the same as job enlargement. So making t- doing one dull task and adding a second dull task isn't exactly job enrichment, it's job enlargement. And um, there, there's an important distinction there. The second part is discretion. You have content and discretion. Discretion has to do with uh, giving people more leeway in the, in the work they do, it, it, assuming that they're ready for that. They're at their uh, uh, maturity level in their job that they can take on, uh, make more decisions and so forth. So they're able to plan, do, and control, not just do, but plan, do, and control their work. So that's the, the job enrichment, the two vehicles there, content and discretion. Let's conclude by taking a, a, a brief uh, trip through a, the evolution of, of, of management models in the United States in recent times. Well, maybe not so recent, but anyway, I think this will be interesting to you. I hope so. And it also underscores the importance of uh, the uh, various aspects of motivation we were talking about. This comes from Ray Miles. I got to know Ray, who was the uh, dean of the business school at, at Cal and a professor there. And over my years of involvement with Cal, I got to know Ray fairly well. And the beginning of his um, evolution of management models uh, is is the uh, movement from the agrarian society in the United States in the late 1880s or 1800s to the industrial society early 1900s. And Ray had four models, if you will, one moving to the next. Briefly, they were the traditional model, 1880. 1920, then we moved to the human relations model, 1920-1960, human resources model, 1960-1990, and human investment model, 1990s uh, to the present. Uh, and it's interesting as you go through here, it it wasn't uh, the kindness, uh, maybe they weren't like you and me, but it wasn't the kindness of leader managers' hearts and so forth and so on that made the transition for the most part. It was a reflection of what was happening in society as a whole as people moved up, again, integrating these two theories of uh, motivation. As people moved up, uh, Maslow's hierarchy, the society and people's needs changed and the work had to change accordingly. And uh, again, it wasn't because all all about goods. This was about getting business done and, and being productive. Okay, so that's uh, pretty interesting to me, hopefully to you too. Let's uh, take a quick look at the four models, and each of the models are Ray divided into origin, assumptions, management's role, and expectation. Origin, assumptions, management's role, and expectations. Um, again, hopefully this is of interest. You want to delve farther into it, check out the, my book, Building Commitment, and it goes in much greater detail. I'm just going to hit the highlights here, okay? Traditional model, 1880s, 1920s, uh, the the uh, uh, people were moving from the agrarian to the industrial society more and more, and uh, p- the people's uh, needs were at the Maslow's lower order of needs, physical security. The assumptions are, are parallel to Douglas McGregor's theory Y, if you're familiar with his theory uh, Y, or theory X, I'm sorry, theory X and theory Y. Theory X would be here. And his theory excellent said people dislike work, but if you pay enough, they'll do okay. The management role accordingly was close supervision because when the when the cat's away, the mice will play. It also was the birth of uh, Frederick uh, F. W. Taylor's scientific management. The thought being, if you could break the work down into the lowest increments, anybody could uh, do it. You just plug in the next person and go from there. Um, and then the expectations is that people, if you pay them enough, they'll do okay. 
Let's move to the human relations model, 1920, 1960. Uh, now, uh, people moving up in society, the more social need, the belonging need uh, in the Maslow's hierarchy. Series of studies, the most famous being the Hawthorne studies uh, done in uh, the 20s and 30s, where where scientists, industrial engineers, and so forth began to study work and people, and they kept changing all the conditions and so forth, the lighting, the heating, the workspacing, the layout, the hours, and all that kind of stuff. And the amazing thing is that no matter how they screwed around with all this, uh, productivity seemed to go up. And people couldn't, the scientists said, what, what's going on here? And finally, they concluded that well, people uh, wanted to belong. They felt great that they were being looked at and that sense of being part of something. And so that was this social need emerging, if you will, at work, kind of a major finding. We take that for granted now. But in, in those days, it gave birth to such things as uh, suggestion systems and newsletters and company picnics and bowling teams and all the belonging things, you know. I'm not degrading that, but it not doesn't translate today into motivation necessarily. And labor unions really got a foothold in the United States society in this time uh, 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 in the uh, human relations model. And the reason that people, when they went in the ballot booth and checked yes uh, <clears throat> for unions, I want to join, was, uh, of course, pay and benefits. But the main thing was uh, dignity feeling uh, dignity and part of something belonging, okay? Um, so the um, p- the assumptions of the uh, human re- uh, relations model, people want to feel uh, useful and important. The management role is that on uh, small matters, we can involve them. You know, nothing of great shakes, but on small matters, uh, suggestion boxes, you know, and, and we need to, you know, communicate with them and that sort of thing. And if we share information, they'll, they'll, uh, They'll, on routine decisions, they'll be satisfied and feel important. Moving to the third of our four models, the human relations model, 1960, 1990s, um, workers now moving to the uh, higher order needs in Maslow's hierarchy, achievement, and me as an individual, and uh, maybe even self aware, uh, self achievement. And the assumptions here, this is more like uh, McGregor's theory, why? As contrasted with the theory X we talked about, work is not inherently dissatisfied, and people can exercise self-direction and self-control, and MAFGRIP would like to, given where they're at, again, on the hierarchy of needs. Management role is to make use of untapped human resources. This could be an advantage for us. Uh, let them participate on important matters. And the expectations is that as we expand uh, people's influence, self-direction, self-control, it'll lead to direct improvement in our effectiveness. In the last of our four models, the human investment model, 1990s to the present, now people at, are at the higher order needs for the most part, and that uh, we have global competition, the flat world, workers continue to move up Maslow's hierarchy, the birth of teams and the total quality management, where we take a look at work and workers and combine the two to make for greater effectiveness, technological advances, the birth of the learning organization, the assumptions that uh, most people can acquire knowledge and skills beyond their current job uh, requirements, and that core companies' competencies can result in a competitive advantage for us. Uh, Manager's role is to invest, invest in people, invest in their education, training, development. 
and the expectations that the learning organization, we can continue to grow and so forth as we reflect on what we've done and to learn from that. The growth of teams, the lateral organization, we work sideways, not just vertically. All right, that's a quick trip. Again, consult the book. If uh, this is of interest to you, get more detail there. Um, and with this episode, hopefully it provides a nice grounding for you as we proceed in the other episodes in this particular uh, sector of the uh, building the uh, culture of commitment. And we'll, we'll start to talk about in next episode and the following episode, specific ways you can go about uh, building this culture of commitment. In the meantime, you take care of yourself and we'll see you a little bit down the road. Take care.